So I mentioned before those 115 or so different tick uh, security capabilities. We did a mapping of them to our zero trust maturity model I showed earlier. And no surprises that there is strong alignment between the network pillar and I think the uh, visibility capabilities in terms of there's a lot of tick capabilities that map to what's in the maturity model. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. The future of the tick program amid the shift to zero trust. And a progress report from the deputy federal CIO. It's Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. CISA is opening up an office dedicated to helping federal agencies implement zero trust security principles, leaning further into the Biden administration's push toward broader adoption of the framework. That news was shared first last week at CyberScoop's Zero Trust Summit by Sean Connolly, CISA's senior cybersecurity architect and trusted Internet Connections program manager. Connolly said the agency's Zero Trust Initiative office is intended to provide federal agencies with more comprehensive trainings and resources, such as playbooks and guidance for agencies that want to know how to move towards zero trust. Connolly said the office will also focus on community building and collaboration, some of which will come in the form of expanded relationships with interagency partners and the broader IT community. Connolly highlighted the creation of two Zero Trust interagency working groups centered on practitioners and network modernization. Finally, the office will be tasked with assessing agency's zero trust maturity. Connolly said the agency is working with the Office of Management and Budget about how agencies can move forward through the stages laid out in CISA's model. CISA, OMB, and others will work together to develop metrics and benchmarks that track agencies' progress towards maturity. Later in the show, you'll hear directly from Connolly about the new office and how it interplays with TIC 3.0. In other news, the Department of Veterans Affairs has corrected a series of issues connected to its troubled electronic health record modernization initiative with Oracle Cerner. But problems with legacy pharmacy software from the contractor remain, an agency watchdog said last week. Testifying at a House Veterans Affairs Subcommittee on Technology Modernization, VA Deputy Inspector General David Case said an upcoming OIG report will highlight unresolved, insufficiently communicated pharmacy-related patient safety issues. While the VA fixed issues tied to inaccurate medication information that was input to its health data repository, DIG found that Oracle and the VA's Electronic Health Record Modernization Integration Office did not test for medication and allergy data accuracy after that information was transmitted to the repository from new EHR sites. Case said that as of September 2023, there have been approximately 250,000 veterans who either received medication orders and or had medication allergies documented in the new EHR. Those veterans may be unaware of the potential risk for a medication or allergy-related event if they visit a legacy EHR site. The OIG findings on lingering issues with the VA's EHRM program come less than a month before a critical test of the system is set to begin with the March 9th opening of the Captain James A. Lovell Federal Health Care Center in North Chicago, Illinois. The Lovell Center, the first fully integrated VA and Department of Defense joint healthcare system, will include the deployment of the EHRM program that was paused in April 2023 following myriad problems associated with the system's rollout earlier that year. 
You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. CISA has launched a new Zero Trust Initiative office, showcasing its dedication to supporting federal agencies on the implementation journey for the security framework. But what does that mean for some of CISA's more legacy security initiatives, like the Trusted Internet Connections Program? CISA's tick lead, Sean Connolly, recently joined me for a fireside chat at the Zero Trust Summit to discuss the future of TIC 3.0 as Zero Trust takes priority and how the two will continue to evolve as more federal agencies modernize their cybersecurity. Welcome back to the stage. You're a popular guy today. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we did this recently. We ha- we actually recorded a podcast. So um, if you haven't listened to that, check out Fed Scoop, the Daily Scoop podcast. Sean and I talked about a lot of what he talked about already, Zero Trust, the TIC, the TMF and such. But obviously a little bit of news that you made today, and we'll get to that, uh, which I'm really excited to hear about. Um, but I wanted to start uh, our conversation because... You know, TIC has been around for a while. It's got a little bit of a legacy now. Zero Trust is a bit newer, um, but uh, they largely, you know, uh, attempt to accomplish some very similar things. So I'd love to start the conversation um, as we're looking at these things and how they overlap and sort of interplay with one another, making sure that everybody in the audience sort of understands what are trusted internet connections and how do they relate to a Zero Trust architecture, which is really the driving force in the federal government for cybersecurity today. Sure. So thank you, Billy and uh, CyberScoop for having me back. So TIC, Trusted Internet Connections, just a, a little bit of history on where we've been. Like Billy mentioned, it's been around for over a decade now. Uh, in the mid-2000s, Karen Evans, when she was at OMB, not the federal CIO, um, title was there yet, but that was her role. Uh, OMB did this data call to the agencies asking, how many internet connections did you have uh, out to the internet? And the number startled everyone. It was way more than anyone thought. I think it's over 4,000 connections. Um, So what the Trusted Internet Connection concept was about was a couple things. It was about network consolidation, about collapsing those 4,000 internet connections down to a few finite tick access points, then also having baseline security requirements. Um, And those baseline security requirements was like, you know, your firewalls, your IDS, your typical primer devices. And then like what Billy was saying, um, while the TIC program and TIC initiative was focused on securing that perimeter, at the same time you had cloud, you had mobility, and it really became a point where even though we did a good job of putting the genie back in the bottle in terms of collapsing all those network connections, uh, just technology and evolution was uh, wanted, we needed to expand out. So uh, 2016 or so, we were able to now look at how to do TIC differently, uh, I think in 2019 it was the memo I mentioned earlier on the TIC, TIC 3 initiative. And then uh, for the last few years, we've been releasing a number of use cases. So it starts still with that traditional TIC access point. We, even though we reset the program, it was key for us to be able to support legacy architectures. And we could talk a little bit about that. So we started with the traditional TIC access point. But then at the same time, we released a branch office, a remote user, and then the cloud use case. And this was a reflect the modern architectures we're seeing, and given the ability for agencies to move out in ways that they weren't able to or constrained under, under the old TIC2 model. So I think the, the big question, given the news you, you mentioned earlier and how these things, you know, again, interplay with one another, is you have this new CISA Zero Trust Initiative office that, that you're standing up. What does that now mean for TIC as part of that? Sure, yeah. So, uh, Again, uh, TIC initiatives out of OMB, so OMB still has a TIC memo. 
which means a couple things. Uh, CISO is responsible for releasing a number of use cases, which we've now done, and we can declare success on that. But GSA still has the MTIPS program. This is like the, the different providers that provide a solution for agencies to connect to the internet through those uh, private TIC access points. Uh, so GSA still has a role to play with TIC, but most importantly, the agencies still have the biggest role to play now with TIC. We have these use cases. Um, I mentioned before those four use cases. So now agencies are using those use cases, interpreting them in ways that support their architectures. I think there's somewhere maybe 115 or 120 different security capabilities in those use cases. Um, kind of mirror to what you hear on the DOD side toward zero trust when Randy Resnick and his team talks about the controls they have in place. So now that we have these, like the way I look at it is the chess board's now set and the agencies can set the chess pieces how they want to support their architectures. Uh, for, for example, one agency I won't mention, they've taken the use cases and they've built out somewhere between 10 and 15 different playbooks. Those playbooks reflect the different types of data or users or resources they need to uh, protect. And that's just one example. So uh, we're starting to see how agencies are using the TIC guidance and then we're, we're all here today also reflecting some of the zero trust principles at the same time. So just as a quick sort of follow up for that, you mentioned CIS's role with TIC is, is sort of done at this point. So does that mean TIC is now off your hands and it's everybody else's to, to sort of handle? Yeah, I've been with TIC for 15 years. I don't think TIC will ever not be a part of my DNA. Uh, Sarah Mosley here also, she's been a long time supporter of TIC. Uh, I think there will always be discussions around uh, TIC itself, but um, it's more what our team's going to do is now work with those agencies. Uh, it could be with the CIO office, it could be a CISO office, some of the NAC or SOC teams themselves, just again at an architectural level, how they are looking at supporting uh, TIC. One of the things uh, I mentioned before uh, when we released the Zero Trust office was we had these working groups. Uh, yesterday we had a interagency working group, I think about 150 people on the call, 40 different agencies. Honestly, a lot of these interagency working groups, they're just group therapy. It's a way for, for agencies to just talk about what's going on at their agencies. But there are uh, some agencies that we want to like uh, advocate for what they are doing. And so we're going to look at uh, how we can use the TIC program office to be able to kind of amplify their message, maybe come out with playbooks that be agnostic to the agency that we're supporting, but then the other agents can say, okay, this is how that agency is doing. They can interpret it for their uses, uses themselves. So obviously we've heard a lot today about agency's journey and sort of the challenges and successes on the journey to zero trust. Um, obviously TIC 3.0, as, as we're describing, still a lot for agencies to do around that as it remains for some of those le legacy systems and applications. But um, how do they move forward in, in sort of that, that Venn diagram between zero yeah. trust and TIC 3.0? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, the overlap between, just like you mentioned, the Venn diagram, uh, so I mentioned before those 115 or so different tick uh, security capabilities. Uh, we did a mapping of them towards zero trust maturity model I showed earlier, and no surprises that there is strong alignment between the network pillar and I think the uh, visibility capabilities in terms of there's a lot of tick capabilities that map to what's in the maturity model. There's a weaker alignment, no surprise, toward the data pillar also, I think toward the application pillar, and then also some of the governance and uh, um, automation uh, capabilities. So what we're doing is we're going to figure out ways to be able to instill uh, capabilities that reflect more of the zero trust. Again, 
know, Tick came from a more networking background. Uh, while it's in our DNA, we need to be able to put security closer to what's being protected, the resource, the data, the user. So we want to be able to provide options for agencies to protect data and users and resources in new ways. So I think that's some of what you'll see going forward with TIC3 and also, of course, reflected in Zero Trust itself is just these options that are now moving forward. And we're from our perch, we try to, again, magnify what good agencies are doing and provide examples for the rest of .gov to support. And you mentioned some of the that, that things don't always align perfectly between TIC and Zero Trust, but are there other gaps? Or are those the only gaps or differences between the two? And you know, if so, how how can agencies think about you know bringing those uh, misalignments closer yeah. together? Yeah, I think the 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 biggest difference is you know it's fun to talk about Zero Trust, right? It's talk, fun to talk about technology or the organizations changing. But at the same time, we're the government. We got some of the oldest IT systems in the world. We got, you know, we still have uh, Voyager satellites that are sending data back from 10 billion plus miles away. I don't think it's uh, hyperbolic to say that is universally unique data. No one's looking to put an EDR solution on the Voyager satellites. No one's looking to put anything on the lunar rovers. So we need to be able to reflect what is still the legacy environment, whether it's mainframes or even uh, agencies still have a lot of data centers, and you know, if you're protecting a data center, it's a little different than zero trust. We're trying to protect uh, uh, a particular data or assets itself. So what Tick Three does is balance out how the agency can protect uh, large data centers or legacy environments. Where zero trust, I think, we're still struggling to figure out somewhat like the IT or OCS or that uh, legacy system. So both, I think, are going to be able to move forward, but it's a little support on the TIC3 side toward legacy systems that I'm not sure we figured out yet on the TIC or the Zero Trust side. So as we close out here, you know, we, we've sort of alluded to this already in the conversation with, you know, CISA's role around TIC, but I guess the future of TIC writ large across the federal government, whether that's OMB's memo or how agencies are handling it, but just will there, you know, with, with all of this focus on zero trust and, and things modernizing, will there come a time when TIC is no longer needed? Or are we going in the direction of, you know, things are changing and there's always going to be different ways at looking at it that there could be a TIC 4.0. Yeah, yeah, right. I've heard a couple of times TIC 4, when's TIC 4 coming? Uh, I have presentations from around 2010 or 2011 that CISA of the White House back then about moving from TIC 2 to TIC 3. That was 2010, 2011. We only got the last TIC 3 use case out the door last year. That's 13 years later. It took us a long time to get to tick three, even the zero trust memo from OMB didn't come out to 2019. Um, so if and when there is a tick four, I don't know, you know, in terms of time frame, time frame when that would happen. But the bigger question is why? Because I mentioned before when we started out, the constraints that were under with tick one and tick two, the forcing the agencies to have these physical access points, forcing compliance, that compliance mechanism, that's longer gone. The, the ability or need for agencies to um, constrain what they are doing. That, that this is all gone. So there's a lot more flexibility in TIC three that wasn't in TIC two. So I think ideally, where we've been in a position TIC three, I think it'll be able to last for a while. We could focus on zero trust again. Agencies are still coming to us about the legacy systems. I think we could support a little bit more from the TIC perspective. Um, but between where, where we've been with zero trust, what you've heard Mitch and others talk about about what the possibilities of zero trust. I think we're in a good spot between the two. 
So as we close out, any final thoughts, anything we missed, anything you want to share with the audience on this sort of, uh, again, over, overlap between TIC and Zero Trust? Yeah, I think the, uh, I mentioned the interagency working groups. Again, we've had the second working group last month. If you're a federal uh, employee or a contractor working at an agency, feel free to reach out to that Zero Trust at cisa.dhs.gov email address. We'll get you in line. Uh, we had the second meeting, the next one. Uh, again, it's about network modernization. So the next uh, uh, meeting, we're gonna talk about some of the uh, possibilities that CISA has toward our visibility requirements, our need to be able to see visibility at the agencies, in the agency's environments. So we are starting to have the, some of those discussions about uh, the ways that we were going to be able to use telemetry in ways that we weren't able to do under the old, if you know, NCPS, Einstein 1, and the Einstein 2 models. And so that forum we have, the Interagency Working Group, is a great way for agencies to participate uh, and listen in. And then again, we're going to ideally start having some of the agencies that are moving out on Zero Trust uh, come to those meetings and talk about how they are uh, supporting Zero Trust going forward. That's fantastic. Um, well, Sean, it's always a pleasure chatting with you again. If you, you've seen Sean twice on the stage now, if you can't, haven't got enough of him, please go listen to the Daily Scoop. We did a great interview a couple weeks ago, so uh, lots more details shed there. Um, but Sean, it's always a pleasure, uh, and thanks so much for your time. No, thank you. This is a great crowd, so thank you so much. All right, let's give him a round of applause. You can learn more about Zero Trust and Tick at thedailyscooppodcast.com. This next segment, part of our executive interview series on accelerating the mission with artificial intelligence, is brought to you by Google for Government. Joining me is Drew Michaelgard, Deputy Federal CIO in the Office of the Federal CIO at OMB. Drew, always good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you as well, Billy. Great to be here. So, Drew, I wanted to start by asking about the biggest challenges that you within OMB and your agency are facing today to accelerate mission impact across the cloud ecosystem. Yeah, that's a that's a great question and, and very timely after these last couple of years. So across the whole federal government, what we're seeing, you know, like two major challenges. One is just legacy system migration. There are a lot of rickety systems out there that we're trying to move over to more modern platforms. Usually that that's some cloud-based system that can scale. Um, it's just a lot of work though, and and making sure that the the like the data is aligned and the, the business processes are reintegrated um, and improved. And, and what we really like to see is as they start to mature in those competencies, you know, like the, the, we know the cloud is more secure and more cost-effective. So we didn't see those as like additional business drivers. I think the other one is just cybersecurity outcomes. Uh, our adversaries never stop when it comes to, to gaining our information and, and, and data. And so it's important that we maintain those robust security protections for sensitive data and moving away from just like a compliance standpoint, but, but more towards a security, um, like a, a security posture. And we've seen a couple of documents come out of EOP. One, thanks to, you know, some of the work that we did, but off, also Office of National Cyber Director, the National Cyber Strategy, and then also CISA's efforts are really driving those outcomes. Um, you know, like if, if we can ensure that those cloud products are, are secure when we establish them and design and implement them, you know, that's going to go a long ways to preventing our, our adversaries' best efforts. And that's really why I'm excited. I hopefully talk about it 
a little bit about the efforts we're making in FedRAMP around improving the FedRAMP board, um, getting that stood up, the FedRAMP policy, and then the public-private partnerships we're, we're doing around feedback there. That's great. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned security and all that's going around there in the policy space. But, you know, I wanted to follow up with, you know, as OMB looks back on the last year in 2023 and reviews how agencies have made progress under the president's cybersecurity executive order and, you know, OMB's zero trust strategy, what progress are you seeing? Yeah, there's a couple areas. And, and we'll look back to like the beginning of the administration, because that's when EO14028 came out, and we followed it quickly with a number of, of uh, different OMB memos to address it. I think one of the most important things uh, that we want to keep in mind is that all agencies are, in 2021 and even today, start at different points in their journey. So there's no you know one size fits all. And we, we're really working hard in our memos and our efforts um, for oversight to meet them where they are. Um, we do acknowledge, though, that you know there's there are significant threats that we're seeing every day. You see them in the news. Um, you know they've they've been not just problem for us in OFCIO, but this is a whole of EOP approach. So you're seeing all of the executive office of the president move towards addressing those those sophisticated actors and attacks. Um, one of the things that you know, like we we talk about, you know, it's just how specifically for outcomes, how agencies are embracing at a top level, the zero trust, trust methodologies, and then how we bring in that reporting. The areas that we're really trying to increase like radically are visibility and security outcomes in their environments. And th these go back to a lot of the pillars in, in, that we put out in zero trust, but it's phishing resistant MFA, encrypting data at rest and in transit, deploying endpoint protection and response, and then logging, you know, like the logging's a challenge because it, you know, like you can really put some effort into it and get get a ton of great um, responses out of it. But you do have to have the ability to to have the right trained people um, in all of those areas, and especially like when you're when you're implementing these things, uh, when you're implementing these methodologies, like you have to have the right people tackling those hard problems for you. I think lastly. You know, like just overall enthusiastic about the embrace um, of of large portions by the federal government, and then also the broader cybersecurity ecosystem commercially, and proud of just the work that our our cyber team has done to get us to this point. That's great to hear, and and you know, I I think looking back on on the past year, AI was a, a major trend that we saw come into this space, and I'm curious how you see AI impacting the ability to improve that security resilience. Yeah, I, you know, there at almost every, um, I think every meeting, whether it was business or it was IT, AI claimed some portion of that, you know, and and that's executives that are curious about uh, using it. You know, there there are practitioners that are that are interested, um, but really specifically, we you know we've seen that there's a potential to improve security resilience, and even there's even some recent research coming out that there's a promise of it. You know, AI and ML approaches to strengthening security. Some of the, the key areas that we see are identifying actionable events, uh, identifying anomalous signal detections, and then scanning for new um, TTP patterns within the network. These were things that were a little bit harder for us to do um, before with our current tool set. So we've seen a steady increase. It hasn't just been in the last year, but we've seen a steady increase in the competencies in those areas. But at the end of the day, we've got to remember that, you know, at, AI is still software. 
Um, the agencies have to build up the maturity in other areas like supply chain, enterprise risk management, um, and endpoint controls. And we've had best practices around that. Um, the software certainly enables some new functionality, but you know these the best practices that that we've put out need to apply those areas. The one um, you know one area that AI that we're seeing in across the federal government and then also with the commercial sector is a collaboration between the government and industry to make sure that security is a priority. Um, you know they, they, this this is going to put more people at ease especially in an organization making not, you know, hard decisions around security about what AI has to offer and where it can really positively impact both security, but also their everyday operations. Um, I mentioned FedRAMP before. I just want to, you know, highlight, you know, that, that um, the Azure open AI service was recently approved with, um, within FedRAMP. So that enables Azure government customers to access the service in a commercial environment. And you'll see, um, some some stuff coming out about how we're prioritizing those AI products um, and services to get them out to the agencies who and the practitioners that need them the most. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that with FedRAMP. I know there's a lot going on there that you're working on. Drew, as we close out, you know, um, we we touched briefly on on the intersection of cyber and AI, but I'm curious what you see as the most promising or exciting intersection point between those two, cyber and AI, that you have seen so far. Yeah, so you know, I want to highlight a couple of areas um, there, Billy. One is like we're seeing, um, and th this is after being in a couple of years in the in the government, you realize how important it is to get an executive buy-in, um, and you want to ensure that the practitioners and the mission on the ground um, are are invested with with the mission, and the outcomes that you want to drive. But getting that that executive buy-in is critical. We achieved it with zero trust. You know, we we saw more. Um, deputy secretaries, CIOs, and then people that are just aligned to business understand how important security was. And we're seeing that same intersection with, with AI and, and cyber. Like, we're, you know, as, as you get the executive support, you get the practitioners on the ground, then what we're looking at is like the cyber and AI communities coming together um, as two disciplines, um, you know, and, and really working on some technical intersections of the two fields. Um, one very good example we've seen in a number of agencies and also in the commercial sector is rapid patching, which allows you know, developers to determine if their patches are secure prior to deployment. So the, you know, like the, the potential here is terrific um, in limiting and denying our, our adversaries the ability to exploit those zero-day vulnerabilities or target vendors with, with more limited um, cyber defense resources. So the, you know, like we also see like the, the, and this is just natural that the more the communities continue to talk together, train together and learn from each other, you know, the better they're gonna become. And that's why I just wanna mention the administration's AI cyber challenge to advance that effort. If you're not familiar with it, just go ahead and Google it. But the more we're going to see you know, creative and interdisciplinary problem solving skills manifest towards some of the, like the very significant threats we're facing um, in this generation and then the next generations that, that are coming for both on the cyber side and the AI, because both of them are evolving rapidly, both of the disciplines and fields, and that cross-pollination um, between them is just very excited for that, Billy. Well, it's certainly the two most exciting topics, I think, in this space, combining them, cyber and AI, there's going to be a lot to follow. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. But Drew, thanks so much for your time today. It's been fantastic, as always, catching up with you, and I hope we can do it again soon.
Thanks, Billy. Look forward to it. For more on AI adoption in the federal government, visit fedscoop.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.